The Bible passages are in the centre of your uh, handouts, or if you want to follow them in the Bibles, I will also read out the references from where they come from. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord standing upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 8 to 9 and 12 to 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. 
it shall not go out. Psalm 134, verses 1 and 2. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. 1 Chronicles, chapter 9, verse 33. Now these, the singers, the heads of fathers' houses of the Levites, were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. Thank you, Kathy. I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, what a bizarre bunch of readings you've chosen tonight, Matthew. Um, and it may seem that way, um, but uh, it will hopefully all come uh, clear soon. Uh, tonight, 24-7 prayer. This is what we're going to look at. Um, in three weeks' time, we're going to be doing a week-long uh, uh, prayer, unbroken prayer through the day and through the night. 24-7 prayer is about engaging in unbroken conversation with our eternal, glorious God while simultaneously capturing his heart for broken, lost people and crying out unceasingly to him until he breaks in through us. That's a good summary, I think, of what 24-7 prayer is. And we'll, we'll look in that in a little bit more detail. Uh, but I want to cover three uh, main areas tonight. And those three main areas are, what's the point? What's the point of 24-7 prayer? Why do we do it? Uh, and then we're going to go on a roller coaster through history, both through the Bible and church history, even up to today, and see the theme of 24-7 prayer all the way through. Um, and finally, how to do it well, how we're going to do our own week of 24-7 well. I'm not sure what you're thinking and feeling already about the thoughts of doing 24-7 prayer. Is it feeling you with excitement? Is it, feeling, uh, is it making you feel challenged at the thought of doing it? Um, is it making you feel nervous or even tired at the thought of doing it? Is it making you feel depressed? I'm not sure what you're thinking right now, but I want us to come out tonight informed, challenged, encouraged, enthused about prayer and about 24-7 prayer. Uh, so it's going to be a mixture of Bible tonight. It's going to be a mixture of, uh, like I said, church history and hopefully some stories. Uh, but let me pray, and then we're going to get right into it. Lord, thank you for your word. Praying, just like Paul did in Ephesians 1, asking that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to see Jesus lifted up and adored. And we want to learn how to pray. And we want to see how 24-7 prayer is important. And we want to join in with the whole of heaven that is worshipping you day and night unceasingly. So help us, Lord. Amen. So, starting off, 24-7, what's the point? Uh, on the back of your sheets, if you want, you can make some notes there. These are our three points. Um, and the scriptures, like I've said, are in, in, in the middle. So we'll... we'll be flicking between both pages. What's the point? Well, I want to start off with uh, the question of why not? Um, we pray in church, we pray in our homes, we pray uh, in our families, we pray small groups together, prayer here in our church. So we do a lot of prayer. We're going to do some praying later tonight. So why 24-7 prayer? And I wanted to start off with the question of why not? What's wrong with not doing or actually doing 24-7 prayer? 
because we know that prayer is good. We know that prayer is really great, actually. We know that it's actually necessary and vital. And so the question I wanted to start with was, have we reasons not to pray? Have we reasons not to do 24-7 prayer? Listen to this quote by Martin Luther. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Isn't that powerful? He's basically saying that you need oxygen to survive. Every, you know, every couple of seconds you take in a breath. Well, we need prayer just in the same way that we need oxygen. Is there any area of the Christian life that doesn't involve prayer? We know it's important. So what reasons do we give not to pray? Lack of time, maybe? Well, we all have the same time. There's always gaps in the day. How many of us shower in the mornings or in the evenings? We all do. There's five minutes there. How many of us drive to work or take the kids on a school run? How many of us take ages to fall asleep at night and you just, your mind is just whirring? There's so much time there. So it's not the fact that we don't have enough time. What about lack of priority? Well, I've got to do this thing, and then as soon as I've got to do that, then I'm going to go on to that next task, and then that next task. There's always going to be something else. There's always going to be another reason, something that we'll find to not pray. What if we um, didn't prioritize our relationships that we had in our life? What if we went out, uh, went a day or a couple of days or even a week without speaking to our brother or sibling or, uh, or our parents or our spouse or best friend? It would be weird. It would be really weird if you just didn't talk to them. We're relational beings. God is a relational God. We were made to have this conversation. Maybe it's lack of practice. Maybe that is the case. I don't know how to pray. We're going to touch on that a little bit later. One of the biggest accusations to the ministry of 24-7 prayer in general is, is this. Why are people just sitting in a room all day when they could out be doing stuff? You know, they could be out there telling the gospel, they could be seeing people saved, organizing projects for the vulnerable, food banks, homeless shelters, activism. Don't just say, go do something. Go do something. And absolutely, I agree with all those things. We need to do things. But I think there's a misunderstanding of what is happening. Prayer is where we get to connect to and hear from our Heavenly Father. He knows and feels so much more uh, the issues that are going on in the world today. When we come to him in prayer, we get fascinated by the beauty of his person. God is love. God is power. God is merciful. We get wrecked with the same emotions that he feels towards us and towards people. And we get fueled up to go. Hold that thought. I'm going to touch on that again later. Uh, there's a phrase that maybe some of you have heard, which is um, uh, every generation has to ask itself, what's God doing in my lifetime? Has anybody come across that phrase at all? Maybe it's just me. Okay. There's, there's a phrase about uh, that every, every generation asks themselves, what's God doing in the world today? What, what's his spirit doing? Where's he moving? And I would say that there's definitely a move of God across the world with prayer, stirring brothers and sisters, men and women, in the church to pray. So a second thing. Jesus is worthy. By the power of his word, he created the world. By the power of his word, he upholds this world. Through his sovereign wisdom, he has made a plan of redemption. In his humility, he has taken on our form and knows what it means to be human. 
With his compassion, he has drawn us near. In his mercy, he has forgiven our sin. In his faithfulness, he took the road to the cross. By his death, he paid for our transgressions. By his power, he defeated the grave and death. Through his grace, he has crowned us with love and compassion. By his spirit, he is changing us into his likeness. And in his promise, he will return and dwell with us forever. Doesn't that fill you with faith? Doesn't that make you want to praise God? Doesn't that not make you want to spend time with the one who made you, created you, fashioned you, formed you? Is the one who at this very moment in time is praying for you. There's a verse in Hebrews 7 that says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. He's praying for you. He's praying for me right now. Jesus is worthy If all of these other reasons don't make sense or don't satisfy you, then the reason of Jesus enough, he is worthy of night and day prayer, intercession, praise. He's worthy. God is worthy of prayer and praise through the night as much as through the day. We're going to come on this a little bit later, but look in your uh, your scriptures on the bottom, uh, the right-hand side, uh, two up, Psalm 134. God is worthy of prayer and praise through the night as much as through the day. See there, those who, the servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place. Bless the Lord. People praising God, praying to God through the night. Ultimately, if we're going to do this whole week of 24-7 prayer, it's not going to be in our own strength. We may be able to do a week, but that will probably be it. We'll burn out. We may be able to do a month. We've got to look to the scriptures just like we've been doing in our reformation series for the reason why we do prayer and why we want to do 24-7 prayer and there's a theme that runs all the way through the bible and that's what we're going to look at right now so the second point nothing new under the sun i chose this uh phrase from ecclesiastes partly because we've been looking at at ecclesiastes in our church services recently um but 24-7 is nothing new It's nothing new. We look at today's culture and we see 24-7 supermarkets, 24-7 hospitals. Call 24-7 to book your dream holiday or call the bank 24-7 if you've lost your card on a night out. There's always someone available for you 24-7. In some respects, it's kind of normal life. It's normal life. But we we think about the idea of 24-7 prayer or 24-7 worship and we're like, huh? Why do I do that? Or what's this weird idea that Christians have come up with? There's nothing new under the sun, as the writer in Ecclesiastes wrote. We can find the theme of 24-7 prayer all the way through the Bible. So that's what we're going to do now. And unfortunately, I'm not going to do it justice. There's so many more scriptures, there's so many more things I can touch on, but I'm just going to give you a sense. So, starting in the beginning, always a good place to start. Genesis. We see God and man together in the, in the garden, unbroken conversation. Just like, like he designed it to be. 24-7 access. God talking to man, man talking to God. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go to Exodus Leviticus. K.O., you've been looking at Exodus recently. Uh, We've got to the bit where they've come out to the mountain of God and God has given them the Ten Commandments. And as part of that, uh, the whole uh, giving of the Ten Commandments, he also gave them instructions to build something called the Tent of Meeting, otherwise known as the Tabernacle. What was this place? It was this place where God was going to dwell with his people. And God instructs Moses something kind of unusual, 
that the fire on the altar will never go out. Let's look back to our sheets again. This is Leviticus 6 to 8. Can you see three times God says something? The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It will not go out. We know that the burnt offerings um, in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting were part of the voluntary sacrifices of praise and of thanks, of, of worship. The intercessions are prayers. Here God is commanding that the priest never let that fire go out. It's always going to continually burn. Three times he says it. He's making the point there. We see that God is putting in the framework of his people to be a 24-7 people. We've got to go on our journey. We're going to go to David now. So David became the king of Israel. He decided not to just reestablish the, the, the tent of meeting that had been um, lost through the time of the judges. He, he wanted to bring that back, but he also wanted to make a permanent place for God to dwell. That was going to be the temple. He wouldn't build it, but his son Solomon did. But he put everything in place for his son Solomon to do that. All the structure and the pattern of the temple, you can read about it in 1 Chronicles 23 to 26. But here comes another one of our scriptures. Look down bottom right. 1 Chronicles 9 verse 33. The singers, the heads of fathers' house of the Levites, were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. David was instructing singers and musicians to worship before the ark of God unceasingly. Can you see that 24-7 reference? Singers and musicians, just like what we got here at Bishop Hannington, part of never-ending praise and prayer before the Lord. This is how God wanted the priestly ministry of the temple to be. Let's continue onward. We're going to go to the New Testament now. In the New Testament, we, uh, we see the, the disciples of Jesus. So they were Jewish, and they followed the, the pattern um, of life that was centered around the temple. That was, that was part of normal life for them. So when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection from the dead, what did the disciples do? Let's look at our scriptures again. Luke 24, top of the page. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands to bless them. And when he parted from them, he was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And here we go. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Can you see that again? Were the disciples spending every second, every moment of their day in the temple, just you know, trying to keep their eyes open, trying to pray? I don't think so. But was their pattern of life situated around the temple, going in, praying, seeking God's face, praising him, going out, doing stuff, living life, coming in and out? Yes, definitely. Let's look at Paul's encouragement. I know I'm going really fast here, but there's a lot of ground to cover. Paul, this is in to the church of Thessalonica, again on the right-hand side. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul's asking for the church of Thessalonica to pray continually. What? Paul? How are we going to do that? How are we going to just all go around sort of, you know, praying to God all the time? Are we going to be able to do that? We are definitely meant to be in in constant communication with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was. But remember, Paul is addressing a whole church here, a whole people group. As a church, pray continually. Be meeting. Be praying. God is worthy. Make it part of your pattern for life. Pray continually. 
There's so many more scriptures of um, God's people gathering to pray earnestly, just like in the upper room in Acts 1, or Peter's release when they were praying for him. Um, They were praying earnestly, Lord, release Peter from prison. But we don't have time to cover them right now because I want to focus on the two big scriptures which are on the left-hand side of your service order. Kathy's already read them, so I'm not going to read them again. But I want you to notice something here. And this is something that I'm going to call the eternal heavenly prayer meeting. Do you notice similarities in the two pictures of what's going on here? One is a vision for Isaiah, and it's of the heavenly throne room. And one is a vision for John, the disciple. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. There's about 700, 800 odd years between the two. What can we see in both visions? We can see heavenly creatures that are praising God, praying to God with the same phrase. See it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you see the picture of 24-7 worship and prayer here? In the very throne room of God, we see a prayer meeting that has been going on for over 800 years between Isaiah and John. We can take from it that it was going on long before Isaiah and continuing all the way up till now. In the very epicenter of power, authority, beauty, majesty, splendor, in this whole universe, we see 24-7 prayer and worship. There's a quote by Stephen Venable that says this so well. From the dawn of creation, seraphim, that's the uh, heavenly creatures we see in our readings, surrounded his heavenly throne, never resting and always saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The sight of these burning ones and their singular occupation has much to tell us. They've never had a single sin forgiven, never an ailment healed, never a financial need met. Yet their testimony is that his unending glory warrants their unending praise. In other words, the necessity of night and day worship and prayer is derived not from what the Lord has done or will do, but from who Jesus is, the worthiness of Jesus, and the honor that his immeasurable worth demands. Millions of years from now, long after the last soul has been saved and all injustice has been eradicated, the seraphim, those heavenly creatures, will still be singing and we will be singing with them. It's a beautiful picture. We're joining in with the heavenly eternal prayer meeting. We've got to keep on going. Church history. I'm going to be as quick as I can. There's lots I'm, I'm not going to be able to cover here, including sort of the establishment of the first monasteries. A man called, a monk called Alexander the Sleepless, who organized um, a whole group of, uh, uh, a whole order of monks and um, uh, prayer and night, uh, prayer and uh, unceasing prayer um, through that. And also um, the monks in Bangor Island. Go away and research these. There's some beautiful, um, inspiring, heartwarming things. Uh, to learn. But I want to, to come to the Moravian Hundred Year Prayer Meeting. The Moravian Hundred Year Prayer Meeting. So, the year is 1727, and it's during the time of Reformation, just like we've been looking at in our morning and evening services. It brought Europe much upheaval and trouble, and there was a count called Zinzendorf, it's an interesting name, Count Zinzendorf 
who cared for a small group of Moravian, and by that we mean Central Europe, Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, that whole region, of uh, Protestants trying to escape persecution. 13th of August, 1727, they gathered for communion, prayer and repentance, and the Spirit of God moved in power, stirring these people to pray. 24 men and women committed themselves to take an hour each day, hourly intercessions. The community grew and prayer went on unceasing for over 100 years. It is said by 1791, 65 years later, 300 missionaries had been sent from this place called Hernhut in Germany all over the world. Running into the 20th century, 3,000 missionaries had gone across the world, some of them selling themselves into slavery for the advancement of the gospel. Powerful. John and Charles Wesley, big figures in our history, we know these great preachers, were inspired by the prayerful ministry of these Moravians. Writing in his diary, he says, About three in the morning, as we were continuing in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, so much so that we cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee, you to be the Lord. These men went out across our country, preaching the gospel in power, in what is termed now as the great evangelical awakening of the 18th century. Thousands accepted Christ as savior. We would see that as revival today. And not just that, but great social change such as the abolition of slavery. It all stemmed from a people who got caught God's heart in prayer. This is key, and I want everyone to latch on to what is happening here. Because this is a direct accusation, uh, answer to the accusation that I mentioned earlier. Why pray when you can go out and do? I'm going to read some words from Luke 10. I unfortunately didn't put it in your service um, sheets. But this is when Jesus sends out his disciples. We know the verses though. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. What's going on here? I'm going to steal a phrase from a guy called Alan Hood from the International House of Prayer where I spent some time. The praying people become the sent people. I'm going to say that again. The praying people people become the sent people. You cannot sit before God in prayer, getting to know him, getting to know his heart, without understanding who he is and feeling the things that he feels for this world without being encouraged out to go. The praying people become the sent people. Why pray when you can go out and do? You pray and you end up you end up going out and do. Okay, racing through. We're getting to 24-7 prayer. We see 24-7 prayer exploding across the world today. The 24-7 prayer website lists 14,000 recognized prayer rooms worldwide. 14,000. And that's just the ones that they know about. You know, think about underground churches in, in China, other persecuted places where the church is meeting and praying, crying out for justice and for the Lord to break in day and night. But I want to touch on 24-7 prayer, the the ministry that we know in the UK. Started in Chichester. September 5th, 1999, Pete Gregg and a small church community 
found themselves called to pray. They were inspired by the Moravians as well as feeling this, this burden on their heart. God's calling us to pray. So they made a small little bare white room, the place they're going to pray and they're going to do it for a month. And they wanted to do it for two reasons. One, they recognized that prayer is important. Every area of the Christian life. And two, because they were really, really bad at it. So they thought, we're just going to do this. We're going to commit to this. So they started it. They said, we're going to do a month. They said that the first hours when they started were a bit of a struggle. But then something happened. God's spirit started to move. Pete described the the room as quietly alive. God's spirit, God's presence was there. Pete signed up to one of the first hour slots and he said it was one of the best, most intimate, most beautiful times that he's had with the Lord. I can definitely resonate with that in my times of 24-7 prayer. Some of the groups decided to, uh, to come along as a group, uh, bring their sleeping bags with them, sleep in the prayer room, and then wake each other up at night to cover the slots. When the month of prayer that they did was finished, Pete almost closed the room down. Uh, and he glad he didn't in the end. People said, keep going. And they've continued to this day, 18 years later. 18 years of unbroken prayer. Isn't that amazing? Other churches have caught on to that same vision. People have been changed as a result of this. People have become Christians. People have seen drastic changes in their behavior in their lives. Atheists would walk into the room and say, I can, I can feel God's presence in here. Isn't that amazing? People have caught the heart of God in this place of prayer. And great mission and justice has stemmed out from what they were doing. Do you see that again? The praying people become the sent people. And their vision is Jesus. Obsessively, dangerously, undeniably Jesus. I wanted to touch briefly on IHOPKC, the International House of Prayer, where I went. But I don't, unfortunately, have the time to do so. But all I want to to point out is they started on September the 19th, 1999. 24-7 prayer in the UK started September the 5th, 1999. Two weeks apart. Completely two different uh, different ministries separated by uh, the sea. There's something of a move of God in the world today with prayer and 24-7 prayer. So we come on to our final section. 24-7 prayer, how to do it well. Just before um, giving some examples, I wanted to touch on my own experiences of 24-7 prayer. I think the first time that I did so was uh, when I attended uh, my church in Edinburgh for university. And it was a small church rather like ours. Um, And I remember these three girls standing up and saying, we're going to do 24-7 prayer. And I thought, that's exciting. That's different. And so I signed myself up for a couple of the slots during the week, including some of the, the, the slots in the middle of the night. And I can say that it was some of the most powerful and beautiful uh, moments that I've had with the Lord in my life. And I can point to two major things that have come out my time of doing 24-7 prayer. Number one is that I've seen my faith grow. Whether that I've studied the scriptures in those times of prayer, looking what he's said about himself, about his words, uh, about uh, what he thinks about this world. Um, I've seen my, my heart respond to him. I want to be like you, Lord. And I've also, in one respect, learned how to pray. I would say that on a scale to 1 to 10, uh, my prayer is about a 0.2. 
it still was really bad. But I've learned a little bit more how to pray. I've learned how to um, use a couple of scriptures in the Bible to pray. I've learned how to talk to the one who I'm praying to. Um, and being in context like 24-7 prayer has helped. I've grown in my faith and I've grown in prayer. It's part of our goal, learning how to be a praying people this year. So, 24-7 prayer, how to do it well. I want to give um, a couple of things uh, to help us. Um, there's so many things I could, but when we're halfway through the week and there's so many hours to go, what's going to keep us going? The first thing is I want uh, to, us to remind ourselves. I want us to remind ourselves. When we do it, this is the first thing. We're, we're joining in with that eternal heavenly prayer meeting. What's hev- happening in heaven right now. That's encouraging because we're aligning ourselves with something that Jesus asked us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're doing our prayer, we're, we're joining in with that heavenly host. And that's encouraging. We're not alone. The second thing is, our weak, almost insignificant prayers matter to him. In the book of Acts, there's uh, the soldier, Cornelius, um, who prayed to God. He was a God-fearing man. And God sent an angel to him and said, your prayers have gone up as a, as a memorial before God. Meaning, I haven't forgotten them. I heard your prayers. They weren't weak and insignificant to me. The enemy will try to accuse us during the week and he'll say, God's not listening. Your prayers, they're not reaching him. They're not reaching the throne. They're just empty words. It's a lie. God absolutely hears and God will absolutely respond. And I want us to remind ourselves about how God thinks and feels about us. Uh, I want to give an example of parents and children. How many, how many parents do we have here tonight? Quite a few, I imagine. Parents, when, you're, when, you, when your child spoke its first words, it was probably something along the lines of da or ma or ga. And when they did that, your immediate response wasn't, oh, come on, Jonathan, can you please say what you're meaning to say? I'm hungry, I would like a, I would like a, a piece of bread. I would like to drink some milk. Can you please speak proper sentences? No, you were like, yes, that's it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're speaking to me. When we talk to God, our weakening significant prayers, maybe, God, I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you made me. I thank you that you love me. Amen. And God isn't up there thinking, oh, come on. Intercession that I want to hear from you. You know, where's, where's that, that power, the authority in your voice? He's not like that. He's like, you're doing it. You're speaking to me. Yes, I love that. I love the sound of your voice. I'm going to remind ourselves of that. That's the God that we're praying to. Secondly, just do it. Just do it. Everyone struggles with praying. We all do. The people who started 24-7 prayer in the UK, they were bad at it too. So how do we learn by praying? By doing it. By giving it a go. It's okay if we start and we're not knowing what to do at the first. Quote by Charles Spurgeon, Prayer itself is an art only the Holy Spirit can teach us. Pray for prayer. Pray until you can really pray. Just do it. How many of us can ride a bike here? I'm hoping that's the majority of us. How many of us, when we went to ride a bike, got on our bike and then just started pedaling as we knew exactly what to do? No, we had stabilizers, we fell off multiple times, bruises, cuts. We got on the bike and we kept on going until we could ride. It's the same with prayer. 
we're going to fumble our way through it first, but we're going to get to the point where we, we're talking to God. Just do it. Phil gave us a great example um, a couple of weeks ago about prayer. He says, yeah, but in regards to writing a book, I didn't think I could write a book, a whole book. And Phil's written quite a few books. Phil didn't write a book. He wrote 15 chapters. I can write a chapter. You can write a chapter. It's a couple of paragraphs, a couple of pages. If I do that 15 times, I've written a book. When we sign up for an hour-long prayer, we're not going to come in with a mindset, oh, no, I've got to do an hour of prayer here. No, 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 no. We're going to do prayer of 10 minutes six times. I can do that. You can do that. Our prayer room is going to be the chapel right here. It's going to be converted into a prayer room. It may, may not look like that at first, but it's going to be like that. And there's going to be lots of things inside it, but it's going to be divided into six zones, each with a different theme. So you're going to be able to go in there. If you don't want to know what to do, go to one zone, pray through whatever material that is there, praying for a theme, praying for the world. Uh, there's going to be maps. There's going to be scriptures. There's going to be activities, instruments. There's going to be so many things to help you pray. And if you go around each of those zones, you would have prayed for a whole hour. Even if you don't feel like you can pray at this point. It's going to be in there to help you. Also, prayer isn't just about talking. It's about listening as well. I just wanted to throw that in there. There could be a, you go in that for an hour and just listen to what God is saying. It's conversation. He's speaking to us. Do you work all day long? I don't have time to come. Come in the morning just before work. Make a sacrifice. We're going to have morning prayer at seven each day. Do you have kids? Bring them along. Bring them into the prayer room. Do you have non-Christian friends? Bring them along too. See what God is doing in there in your lives. There's going to be times when we go out, get a cup of coffee, go to the toilet. Um, we're going to be speaking to someone maybe on the way out. That's okay. This is part of normal life. We're learning how to pray. Will you take up the challenge or the invitation of Jesus? Remember when Jesus, on the night he was portrayed, was praying with his disciples and said, can you not watch with me, watch and pray for just one hour? Could we do that, make a sacrifice for this one week? I'm going to pray. I'm going to watch and wait with you, Jesus, for just one hour. um, Thirdly, come with a friend. If you struggle praying by yourself, come with someone. Say, come with me. Let's pray together. I I think I'm going to do it better with you. I'm going to encourage people to come individually, but also with friends, as group, as small groups. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about praying us as, as a church, as a group, as people together. And it also helps us to commit. If you've, if you've committed to pray with someone at three o'clock in the morning, you don't want to let them down. You're going to, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Finally, and this is my last point and we're finished. He gives us grace. In the moments when we are struggling, have reasons to give up, when we're tired and weak, we find that he is strong. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace in our time of need. And I just want to finish off on this. I just want to finish off on this thought of what God, what might happen. What could God do during our week of 24-7 prayer? We may just start, have a couple of slots filled in at the start and just start praying. But think about what happened at 24-7 prayer, international. I'm not saying that that could be the testament of us, that we go on and 18 years later we're praying 24-7. But I'm thinking of what could happen. 
throughout that week, we're definitely going to learn how to pray. We're definitely going to see God. We're going to see him move in our lives, move in our friend's life. As we pray, he, he moves. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for 24-7 prayer, for this opportunity, this invitation even that you give us. Come and join in with the host of heaven that day and night do not cease to, to pray, do not cease to praise. Lord, I ask that you would give us great grace and excitement and energy for this week of 24-7 prayer. That we would go in it with expectant hearts. God, I want to get to know you this week. God, I want to learn to pray. It's part of our goals for this year. Lord, teach us how to pray. We want to be a, a praying people. And I ask, Lord, that when we finish the week, we would feel so much confidence in faith, having grown in prayer and got to know you better. Amen.